time. What are you doing with your time right now? What are you doing with your time tomorrow? What are you doing with your time next week? Do you even know what you are doing with your time? You know, it doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. The difference between how much time we have isn't really very much. Sure, if you're wealthy or have more financial means, I'm sure you could live a healthier lifestyle and maybe be a little more productive and maybe even have a little longer lifetime. But in the grand scope of human history, really the time that we have on this planet isn't really that much different no matter who you are. But in all of that time that we have, that little precious time we have in the grand scope of human history, how are we using it? I mean, we don't even really know how much time we each have left on this planet. So how can we make the most of the time we have today, this week, next week, next month, and the rest of the year? Well, we are going to talk to Laura Vanderkam. She is the guest here on episode 97 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. And you know, Laura is the author of several time management and productivity books. And my name is Francisco Gonzalez, and I am host of the Agents of Innovation podcast, where since 2015, we have had conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. And I've actually had the opportunity about five years ago to listen to Laura firsthand, right in person, uh, by attending some of her workshops at a conference I was at in Nashville, Tennessee, back in 2016. And, you know, I still think of a lot of the concepts I learned during those days and try to employ them. And you're going to hear a little bit about that on this upcoming conversation. But, you know, what's also interesting is uh, at the end of this episode, like we do on every episode of the Agents of Innovation podcast, we're going to play a song by a musician named J.D. Iker. J.D. is going to be coming out. Actually, he already has an album that just came out called Kamikaze. And he's going to be continuing to release new singles from this album. But one of his singles he's already released is called Vacation. And it's funny, I thought the lyrics to this song, uh, you'll pay attention to them maybe at the end of this uh, episode, uh, actually introduces some concepts of time. And of course, you know, we all want to be spending some time on vacation. Well, JD is one of the many featured innovators in the Fearless Journeys community that I've created. You know, we have over 45 featured innovators in this community, and all of them have been previous guests on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So if you've been a, a fan of this podcast and many of the conversations we've had, now you can jump into the conversations and actually learn and grow directly from many of these featured innovators. And Every month, we have group coaching sessions, and JD is actually leading our group coaching session coming up on November 30th, and the topic is balancing productivity and creativity, and it's interesting because as I was actually talking to JD, uh, trying to come up with a theme for his group coaching session, uh, we actually settled on this topic of balancing productivity and creativity, and so that works out perfectly in a sense to anybody listening to this conversation with Laura Vanderkam coming up because really the conversation we're going to have about time management is going to flow really nicely into the group coaching session at the end of November with J.D. Iker. And how does somebody who's a creative artist balance time and, and set, a, set aside time 
for both productive things and creative things that you don't know how long that time is actually going to take, maybe to write a song or something like that. You'll hear me talk a little bit more about this in the conversation coming up here with Laura Vanderkam. The other thing we, we do in the Fearless Journeys community is we have a book club. And this at this current moment uh, that I'm recording this, uh, we're all reading a book by Lynn McTaggart called The Intention Experiment. At one of our previous podcast guest, Shannon Slevin, who is now also a featured innovator in the Fearless Journeys community, is going to be leading us in a live book club session over Zoom on the Intention Experiment, and that will be taking place on November 18th. Uh, One of the other things I'd like to mention here is I really want to thank our first sponsor of the Fearless Journeys community, and that sponsor is Dan Lesniak. Dan Lesniak, along with his wife, Carrie Scholl, has built the number one selling real estate team in the DMV. That's the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia, helping over 1,000 buyers and sellers each year. Dan is also a best-selling real estate author and co-founder of the Hyperfast Agent Podcast and Coaching Program. And in his latest venture, Dan has raised nearly $15 million in equity from investors to acquire and develop over 200 condo units in D.C., And I think if you want to be an investor and get in on some of these deals, let me tell you, the price of real estate ain't going down in the Washington, D.C. area anytime soon. So we're grateful Dan is not only one of the 45 featured innovators you can connect with in the Fearless Journeys community, but he's also chosen to invest in Fearless Journeys as a sponsor of our community. So I'm so thankful to Dan. And uh, if you want to learn more about how to be involved with the Fearless Journeys community, just go to Fearless journeys.org. There's a free newsletter you can subscribe to, but also there are some membership levels of different ways you can get involved in in the book club and the live group coaching sessions. And of course, not only are we doing virtual events, we're doing some in-person meetups in different places, including on some of our group trips. And we have a group trip coming up on November 10th through the 16th uh, in Guatemala, where I'm actually recording this from right now. And so uh, if you don't get a chance to come to Guatemala on that group trip, we're going to have other group trips in many different places, uh, both domestically in the U.S. and also internationally. So be sure you're subscribed uh, to all of it and join as a member of the community at fearlessjourneys.org. But for now, we've only got so much time. So let's spend the rest of our time listening to Laura Vanderkam, coming right up here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Well, I want to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Today, we have a fantastic guest, Laura Vanderkam. She is the author of several time management and productivity books, I think I've counted eight in total, Laura, uh, but uh, some, of the, some of them include Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. And I know at least two of those books are novels. Um, Laura's work has also appeared in publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She's the host of the podcast, Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. Laura lives just outside Philadelphia with her husband and five children and blogs at lauravandercam.com. And you can also follow her on Twitter like I do at lvandercam. That's V-A-N-D-E-R-K-A-M. 
Uh, Laura, thank you so much for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, Laura, you know, um, I was recounting to you just before that it's been about five years. I believe it was in 2016 that I was at um, a conference in Nashville. Uh, you know, I did fundraising uh, at that time for a, a nonprofit public policy organization. And, you know, I have to tell you, uh, throughout, you know, at that point, I'd probably been into that field at least a good 10 years. And I attend a lot of fundraising sessions at a lot of these events. And um, they're all they're all helpful. They all add, they all reinforce. But sometimes, you know, you feel like, man, I've went to a lot of these before. But I looked at the schedule and I saw, ooh, some time management sessions. This is what I actually really need to boost my, uh, my fundraising performance, to learn how to deal uh, with all the floating objects that, also, that consume us all the time. Um, and those sessions were led by you. And I attended at least two or three of them, maybe all of them. I can't remember. It was like a little you know, semester in Laura Vanderkam in, in, uh, in just a, a couple of days. But I got so much out of them. I still think about a lot of the concepts that I learned that week. Um, and there's a lot to digest from your advice, uh, but let's start with maybe maybe a little softball here. Uh, why is time management so important? Yeah, well, um, thank you for spending your time attending my workshops. That's uh, very flattering. Um, no, I, I think time management matters because we live our lives in hours. Like anything we do with our lives is going to be a function of how we spend our hours. And so if we're spending them on things that matter to us, that's awesome. And if we are spending them on things that don't matter to us, maybe that could be a little nudge to really think about how we want to spend the time we have on this planet in ways that are meaningful and enjoyable for ourselves and the people we care about. So I know that time management sounds sometimes like this Oh, small-minded sort of thing. Like here we are spinning on this improbable planet in the middle of cold space. And I'm worried about how to turn a 60 minute meeting into a 45 minute meeting. But I think there is a larger dimension to this, which is that, you know, this is the time we have. I mean, we've been given a certain amount. So hopefully we can be good stewards of what we have. Yeah. It doesn't matter how wealthy or poor we have, we are. Um, there's nothing we could do to buy more time. And we're not really sure how much we actually have, right? Uh, but we know there's there's definitely a pretty solid limit. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, doing with what we have, I think that's that's super important. So Laura, before we go into any more of this on time management, um, I wanna travel back in time for a moment. And um, you know, the Agents of Innovation podcast is focused a lot on entrepreneurs and you certainly are one in the business that you've built um, around you know, what you do with time management, writing, speaking, everything. Uh, you know, you're sort of, you know, an expertise in this, in this field. Um, I'd like, I'd also like to help our listeners understand um, the journey of our guests like you. So speaking of your journey, uh, if we go back, uh, what was, uh, what was your first job in life? Could be anything, maybe as a kid. Um, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time babysitting, I guess would be my first. Uh, um, and actually, I, I had started a business oriented into the babysitting sphere uh, when I was quite young. A friend and I ran a summer day camp in our backyards for neighborhood children um, that we figured out that we could take care of six kids as a team. Um, and so we would do that, um, you know, have mornings uh, in the backyard with a group of kids and, you know, sort of multiply our ability to earn babysitting money that way. Um, but I had a host of other jobs too. I mean, I worked at 
Fazoli's Italian restaurant. I Ooh, worked at Osco drugstore. <laughs> I delivered newspapers. I, uh, you know, a host of jobs not related at all to what I wound up doing now, but you know, you have to make money somewhere or another when you're young. And that is what I did. Um, but wait, so, you delivered newspapers. I did in fact deliver newspapers. You know, um, th- this is now episode 97. I've, I've had this podcast for six years. You wouldn't believe the number of people who told me they delivered newspapers at, at least five or 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pretty straightforward way to make money. I mean, maybe yeah. less so now. I don't know how many people are really subscribing to daily print newspapers anymore, if it's a good business to be in or not. But, you know, it's something you can do before you do other things, right? You're, you're going to do it between like six and seven in the morning. Um, you know, so you could do it and then go out, do whatever else you do, go to school. If you have another job, you're taking care of your family. You know, you could do it before your partner left. I mean, it's just something you could do. Um, outside of the the normal, you know, nine to five in a way that often fits in people's lives. Yeah. Now, uh, where did you grow up? So I was born in North Carolina. I lived there until I was 12. Then my family moved to Indiana. I was there for a couple of years um, before moving out to the East Coast for, for college. And then since then. And where was college for you? I went to Princeton in New Jersey. Ah, Princeton. I know a number of Princeton grads. Uh, so, uh, but uh, great, great place. Great, great, uh, great school. I hear it's um, a good fact, school. <laughs> in fact, I was just there in Princeton uh, this past summer, even though I'm here in Guatemala, I was in the States for about six or seven weeks this summer. And someone brought me up to Princeton to actually uh, have other people listen to me uh, in a fundraising workshop. So uh, uh, that was, that was fun. Uh, shout out to my friend, Kelly Hanlon for, for bringing me up there. Um, so, okay, so what did you study in college and what was your initial goal of a career path uh, going forward from there? Well, what I studied in college was um, public policy. Uh, Princeton has something that used to be called the Woodrow Wilson School, but we don't name things after Woodrow Wilson anymore. Canceled. So I, now it's the uh, <laughs> School of Public and International Affairs. Um, so that's what my, my degree is from. I also did a lot of classes in creative writing while I was there because they have a wonderful creative writing department. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer in some way, shape, or form. Um, I did a lot of journalism during college. I freelanced for area newspapers in New Jersey as a way to again, make money. Um, so I was both delivering papers for a while and writing for the papers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's get all sides of the journalism business to, uh, make, make cash while you're, um, you know, living. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was my life. Um, but no, I, I did internships then during the summer at various publications and, uh, coming out of college did a year long internship at USA Today. Uh, which was a great introduction to the world of, you know, opinion journalism, actually, I wound up working on their op-ed page. And while I was there, um, began writing columns for them. Um, You know, they were wonderful in the sense that they were open to having a younger person write for them. And it was a perspective that, you know, 22 years old, they're not getting a whole lot of people who are 22 years old uh, writing for them. Uh, So that that's kind of what I did to start in the field. Um, It's because my clips from USA Today were then very helpful for opening other doors uh, to write for other places. Well, that's great. So, uh, so that explains a little bit how you got into writing. Um, how did you then become uh, what I, I would call you a noted expert now, um, advising us all on time management? What was your process of, of writing as a journalist uh, to, to writing in other fields, but then, then really focusing on this area of time management? 
Well, in general, in life, it's good to have a subject that people then know you for. Um, you know, even if you are a general interest person, which I am, I, there's all sorts of things I like to write about. Um, but, you know, you figure out that there are certain topics that people are more drawn to and that seem easier for you to write about than necessarily others um, and that you keep wanting to go deeper into. And after you spend a certain amount of time um, studying a particular area, you wind up just by the nature of having spent that time on it, knowing more about it than you know, probably the average person off the street. And so that allows you to use that expertise um, you know, to open up doors for various um, you know, things as you're building your business so that you might speak about it, write about it, um, consult about it, whatever else uh, you can do that people might be willing to pay for. Um, so for me, time turned out to be that topic. I wrote about all sorts of other things. I actually wrote a book on entrepreneurship, which you haven't heard of, but it's, you know, it's out there in the world if people want to find it. Um, you know, I ghost wrote books on various topics. I have an education book that I ghost wrote that's out there. I mean, that's a topic that I'm very interested in as well. Um, I helped ghost wrote a medical book that's out there. I find health writing interesting. But I sort of realized that I enjoyed time and productivity advice. Other people were willing to listen to me that they thought I had an interesting take on it. Um, and, you know, it's just a confluence of events. I was writing about the topic a lot. I was writing about some other things too, but that's what got noticed. Um, and I wound up, uh, you know, having a real meeting with, uh, you know, after I'd, I guess, been noticed by some people over at Penguin, um, the publishing house, uh, that we were trying to figure out, well, what would be the angle of a book I could write? And that, that's what we wound up going with the time management. And um, 168 Hours was my first book that came out of that. Wow, that's but yeah, fantastic. It's not, that I, it's not that I grew up from like age six being like, I want to write a book about the number of hours in a week. I mean, it's just, that's, that's very rarely how anyone's career ever works. Like you need to put a story on it in retrospect in order to make it sound like your expertise makes any sense. Um, but, you know, that's rarely how life actually works. 168 hours. Is that the number of hours in a week? It is. So 24 times seven equals 168 hours. People say 24 seven all the time. No one ever multiplies it through, <laughs> but mm. you know, that is in fact the number of hours in a week. Yeah. And so do you remember what first sparked um, that interest maybe in the first article or something that you wrote about time management? Do you, do you remember that at all? Well, I had always been interested in productivity stuff and like trying to get a lot done. I sort of attempted to be a productive person myself over various times and figure out, you know, what works for me and like how I can, you know, fit lots of things into my life. I was always interested in doing that. Um, but, you know, that took on sort of a new urgency when I actually became a parent for the first time. Um, you know, when my first child was born in 2007, um, suddenly it was like, you know, I have these various professional things I'm trying to do. And I'm also trying to, you know, fit the pieces of the rest of my life, in, which now has something else that is taking a lot of time in it as well. Um, so I became quite interested in the stories of other people who are managing to do things professionally while having great personal lives as well, who weren't, you know, making those harsh trade-offs people often say success requires. And um, so as I began writing about them, that was something I realized I like to write about. Um, like to write about how successful people spend their time. And it turns out that there's something of a market, at least for people who want to learn how successful people spend their time and how the rest of us can learn from how they allocate their hours. That's great. Um, so I, I heard you in one of your recent podcast episodes, by the way, for those who aren't aware, I, uh, your little, um, what is it called? Before breakfast? Before breakfast. Yeah. Before breakfast. They're like six, seven minutes. Um, uh, by the way, what's funny, Laura, you should know that uh, here in Guatemala, 
I don't know. I think, I think whoever, what is it? Um, I think it's iHeartRadio that your podcast is through. So they must start your podcast with like a 30 second commercial, or maybe it's different in different areas. So in Guatemala, like I was like, why is this uh, podcast in Spanish? Uh, because it was like <laughs> a, it was like a 30 second. Well, I'm glad that the com- ads at least are, in, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not speaking in Spanish on the uh, podcast, but that's good that they match the ads to the local place. That's, that's yeah, smart business. it was. <laughs> It was great. But um, on the on one of your recent episodes, you said we all waste time. And um, that's true. And, and, you know, there are times that where I think wasting time is OK. Right. Um, but what is your best advice for us generally on time management? How should we be approaching our days, our weeks and our years? Well, that's a big question. But uh, the, the first thing I would always recommend people do if they would like to spend their time better is to actually figure out where their time is going now. Um, because like you say, oh, well, I need to figure out how to spend my time better. Or what should I change? But if you don't have good data, like you don't have the data on where your time is going now, like you're just, you know, shooting blind. Eh? You know, something you thought was a problem maybe isn't. Something you've never even considered might be taking far more time than you've imagined. So in order to change something, you need to figure out where the time is going now and if you are happy with that or if you are not happy with that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, how can people even spend their time well if they don't know that there's say 168 hours in a week? Like people will say, oh, I spend, you know, 40 hours a week working, it's all my time, full time. Well, it's clearly not. I mean, if there's 168 hours in a week, 40 hours is not all of 168 hours. There's actually quite a bit more time, Um, you know, or I feel like I spend, all my time doing X or Y. But again, if you don't know what the denominator is, like you can't, you have no clue of figuring out the right proportion. So we need to know where the time is going now, and then we can figure out what we like, what we don't like, what we want to change. So yeah, try tracking your time for a week. All sorts of tools you can use to do this. I track my time on weekly spreadsheets. perhaps maybe not the thing that makes me sound like the most fun person in the world, but I, I, you know, I like myself a good spreadsheet. Um, And uh, if you do that, you can use time tracking apps. You can, you know, walk around with a little notebook. If you just want to write it in there, look like the kind of person walking around with a notebook and artsy sort of person, (laughs) but uh, it doesn't matter how you do it. But what matters is that you do it. And I suggest people just do it for a week. You may not like it. I don't care. It doesn't matter if you like it. Like you just do it for a week, figure out where the time goes. And then once you've got that data, you can make your choices from there. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits. And uh, in fact, I use it in my courses on entrepreneurship and innovation here at, at uh, University of Francisco Marroquin. But uh, one of the things that he outlines there is, you know, um, tracking your habits, right? And he, mm-hmm. he actually helps people understand the process of habit formation before he even introduces the habit tracker. So the, so, you know, I have my students tracking their habits, uh, and, and I've, I've read this book now like three times. So I, uh, I've noticed, you know, sometimes you can get a little complacent even in your, in when you're building habits. Um, but one of the things in there is, is he's really focused on tracking habits. Right. Um, but also I think you, you maybe would the tracking of the habits might come into play with you, what you do as well in terms of your spreadsheets, but it sounds to me like a lot of what you're also tracking is uh, just all your activities, right? Like not just your habits, but what you're spending your time on, right? So um, can you give us some samples of what people might, uh, I mean, should you be tracking every moment of your day? I mean, how, how, what, what exact big things or small things should you be, should be tracking? Yeah, everything. <laughs> I mean, everything. Why, why wouldn't you track everything? Um, well, it's interesting because a lot of people I give this assignment to and I come back with either 
like their calendar for the upcoming week, which like, that's what you hope to spend your time on like at work, Yeah. but that has nothing to do with how you'll spend your entire 168 hours. Like once you're looking back on it, um, or, or people just like, you know, what you want to do, I can tell you how I do it. Um, so I have my weekly spreadsheets. They go from month. They have the days of the week across the top, Monday to Sunday, half hour blocks down the left-hand side, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. Um, so week starts 5 a.m. Monday. I check in probably three times a day. I write down what I have done since the last check-in. These are half hour blocks. So again, you know, I probably do more than one thing in a lot of half hours, but that's okay. I either use commas or slashes or sort of a general sense of what I have done during that half hour block. Um, and yeah, just, you know, check in three times a day. It takes about a minute each time. Most people can remember the past five hours pretty well. Like that's not distant memory. Like you were here, <laughs> you just yeah. lived through it. Um, and, and so, you know, if you let it go longer than that, it's going to be harder to reconstruct. But if you check in three times a day, you're probably only going to have to remember about five waking hours, which chances are you can do, um, if you're thinking about it. And yeah, so just do it for a week. And, you know, probably it's going to take you less than 30 minutes over the first week you are doing it. Um, and you'll learn a lot. You'll, you'll see, you know, where the time truly goes. Um, because, you know, even those of us who think we have a pretty good idea don't really know all 168 hours unless you are, in fact, tracking it. Yeah. So um, speaking of, of that, uh, tell us a little bit about the typical weekday and weekends of Laura Vanderkam. Um, I understand, obviously, you and your husband have five kids now. Um, and what? And you said the first one was born in 2007. What are the age ranges? Yeah, so I've got teenagers to toddler um, going on here. Uh, so there's there's a wide range. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the weeks have a lot going on. Um, you know, on a weekday morning, we're getting the kids up getting them out the door to the bus or taking them to school. Um, we uh, have a nanny who comes at eight o'clock most weekday mornings. So um, she's taking care of the little guy during that time. My husband and I generally work from, you know, it's roughly eight to five-ish, but there's variances in there depending on, you know, if we have kid activities that happen earlier than that um, or- You, you both we- work from home? We are currently both working from home. That is a pandemic sort of thing. I have already, I always worked from home, uh, had my home office, uh, but his organization went virtual in March of 2020 and kind of continued to be virtual ever since. Uh, so that's, that's been a nice, you know, a nice development. It's we uh, occasionally have lunch together. <laughs> so, so, so um, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. I thought maybe you were going to say, "Hey, he invaded your workspace," but no, you're. Well, you're, we you're we realized that. that was not going to work. Um, so we <laughs> we now have um, two home offices on opposite sides of the house, but the net result of that is that um, you know two of our big boys are sharing a bedroom, and they really personality wise, it's probably not a great idea for the two of them to be sharing. And then our toddler is sleeping in our closet. Um, so we're, we actually uh, purchased another house and are renovating that and hoping to move in in the next uh, two months. That's wonderful. Well, you know, speaking of the pandemic, um, how have you seen people um, have additional challenges with time management um, once COVID came into our world? I mean, as, as you mentioned, more people began working from home. Um, some are still working from home. Uh, and how can we find balance in our work and home life? Um, when everything's kind of done from the same environment and how, how does that kind of relate 
with, um, with managing time. Yeah. I mean, the working from home thing is fascinating because it had always been this trend of the future, right? Like people, Mm -hmm. oh, well, eventually everyone will be working from home. And, you know, why couldn't we do remote work? And, you know, people would talk about this at these future of work conferences, and then it never happened. Um, And and I have had conversations with business leaders who have talked about it as like the future of work and have actually said to me, I remember one man said to me like, oh yeah, you know, we're writing about this, we're studying about it. And he's like, it would never work for us. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, like, what are you doing? That's so different from everybody else that it like wouldn't work for your company to have everybody work from home. But this was, this was what it was. And people are like, not used to it. It seems weird. Like, how do I know my employees aren't watching Netflix? Like, you know, and so then, you know, this had been going on for years. So people could occasionally work from home on Friday, if they'd worked for the company for 10 years, you know, <laughs> it's like, that was it. Um, and then March, 2020 happened. And of course, we realized that in fact, many, many information related jobs could in fact be done from home. Um, all those in-person meetings could have been done virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much of if your your job consists of emailing and calling people in other places, it turns out you can email and call people from your home office as easily as you can email and call from someplace you had to drive 45 minutes through traffic to get to. Uh, so that has been a welcome development, I think, for you know, so many people. Um, you know, there's so much time, energy, you know, environmental resources wasted moving people from one place to another when they did not, in fact, have to do that five days a week. Now, that's not to say there's nothing great about meeting in person. Like, I love meeting people in person. It's just five days a week with the same people in the same spot is probably overkill for a great many jobs. So I'm glad that we're going to be moving toward more of a hybrid model. You know, people working in the office two to three days per week, home two to three days per week. That's probably a great balance for many people. Um, You know, that said, of course, working from home has not been easy for people to adjust to. It is a skill like any other skill. Like if somebody Mm -hmm. handed you a basketball and you had not played before and said, go play basketball, you'd be like, what do I do? (laughs) Like, what do (laughs) I do with myself here? I have no idea what's going on. I feel lost and bereft. And so that's, of course, what March 2020 was like for a lot of people. Um, But, you know, you figure it out. It's not rocket science. It's, I mean, it's more like playing basketball than it is like rocket science. Like you're going to do fine if you, you know, play for a little while and figure it out. So, you know, we, we, you just have to sort of get adjusted to the idea that you are more in charge of your time than you were before. And once you realize that it's liberating, you know, I can work how I want to work. Yes. There are probably certain structured things like, you know, it's good to be available to your colleagues during set hours. You know, maybe you all agree that, you're available to each other in the middle of the day. And then aside from that, you know, you do your work when it works for you to do your work and you set your goals for each given day. And when you get through them, great, you know, you leave, even if it's 4.50, you don't have to wait until five o'clock to say, because, oh, people who leave before five o'clock, they're not the ones who are, you know, climbing up the ladder here, right? And so it's, you know, it's, it's really wonderful in so many ways. I know it's been challenging. A lot of people, it's not that they were watching Netflix, it's that people didn't know when to stop. So yeah, there's right. a lot of people who've been, you know, kind of half working all night, not knowing, you know, how to turn it off, if they can still see their laptop from the rest of the house. But again, mm-hmm. you know, as we move forward, it's been 18 months now, um, you'd have to be somewhat dense not to, you know, come up with some strategies that, that work for you. And, you know, as people do, as they learn how to say, okay, this is how I declare myself done for the day. If I have, you know, five big things on my to-do list and I have done those five big things and done the three meetings I set for the day, I'm done. Like I will work again tomorrow. So, you know, I can be done. And when, when you reach that state, 
like, it's wonderful. Cause then you don't have to commute. <laughs> like you're going to be done. Yeah. And then you're like into your life, you know, two minutes later. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, uh, as you were talking, is that, you know what, I actually attended those sessions with you in 2016, uh, uh, probably four or five months after I started working full-time, uh, remotely while still working for another organization. So I was probably thinking, you know, because of what you just mentioned, it's tough to turn it off when you're at home. And even though I was fortunate from that time to even actually have a, an entirely dedicated, like separate room for my office, which I like what you and your husband do. I mean, you have your separate spaces and now you're, you know, especially with five kids, you're like, okay, we're going to need a, a different, a different home with a different structure and maybe additional rooms for these offices. But I do think it is important if you can to have that dedicated space. Um, and then what you mentioned also dedicated time, right? So you need that, that delineation that it's over at some point because you can even, you know, even with these smartphones, right? People are emailing from, from their phones, even when they're working in the office and things like that. So it's difficult to kind of turn the work off, especially now that work and home are in the same environment. Um, well, you know, I remember Laura, uh, in some of the sessions that I attended with you, um, you were talking about focusing and tell me if this is still what, uh, some of your philosophy is, cause maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I think I'm getting it right. Uh, doing some of the most, the hardest, most difficult, uh, maybe things you don't really want to do doing them earlier in the week and earlier in the day as possible, because as the day drags on your, you lose your energy, maybe your focus. And as the week draw, draws down as well, um, and that what you also mentioned, uh, that when you do your planning, uh, you should try to do your planning on Fridays. Cause again, that's when your energy levels may be a little lower and it's maybe more fun to plan the next and plan the next week and the following weekend plans. Uh, so those are some of the things I remember kind of keep with me a little bit. Can you maybe uh, dive into this a little, a little bit more of the thought process behind uh, some of these tactics? Yeah. So, I mean, planning on Friday is, is kind of, I've been doing this for years and I, I am a Friday planning evangelist. I, I really think that um, using this time for planning the upcoming week is one of the easiest ways to make life feel doable. So Friday afternoon is a great spot for planning the upcoming week. And the reason is most of us are not doing anything else of consequence by Friday afternoon. Like you're just floating into the weekend. Um, it really is a low opportunity cost time. Whereas like planning Monday morning, well, we tend to have more energy toward the start of things. We have more energy at the beginning of the week. We have more energy at the beginning of the day, which means that Monday morning could be like prime execution spot for whatever our toughest or, you know, biggest task is like the most important thing we need to accomplish. Like that would be great to just get there on Monday morning and do it. Um, as opposed to figuring out on Monday, whatever that thing is and using energy that could have been spent on execution, deciding what to do. Whereas Friday, you know, you're not going to start anything new Friday afternoon. So that's the time to think about what, you know, future you should be doing. Uh, Friday afternoon, make yourself a short three category priority list for the upcoming week, career, relationships, and self. What are the most important things for you to be doing in those three categories? The reason to choose all three categories, to have all three categories and to make a three category priority list is it's hard to make a three category list and then leave one of the categories blank. Like our brains just don't work that way. You're going to put something in each of those. And so that right there is going to nudge you to have a more balanced life. Like I actually have a relationship priority for the upcoming week, I actually have a personal priority for the upcoming week. Um, so, but figure out what you would like to do in the upcoming week and see where that can go on your calendar. 
Um, look at what you need to do for the week, like what you've already committed to do, what's, you know, deadlines you have, meetings you've agreed to, whatever else, look at what's already on your calendar, figure out, you know, what logistics need to happen. Um, you can do a quick calendar triage, you know, look at what's coming up and, you know, figure is there anything you could get rid of, right? Like you don't want to do um, or that you don't think is going to happen. So you want to just get it cleared away right now or that you can minimize, you know, it's an hour long meeting and you're pretty sure if you called that person right now, you could handle it in two minutes on the phone. Like, you know, probably just go ahead and make that phone call, right? Or maybe it's that somebody else can handle something. You can delegate things as well. So, you know, you do that. Um, and then yes, your bonus, bonus part there. I look at the weekend on the other side of that week, um, which not everyone is going to do. So on Friday, I'm not planning the immediately upcoming week necessarily, weekend. I'm planning the one after that of figuring out what I want to do with that upcoming weekend. I know not everyone's going to do that because like, you know, planning your leisure and family time eight to nine days in advance is like, yeah, most people don't need to. I can tell you if you have five children who have various activities, um, you know, stuff going on with, with that, um, that's why I wind up planning that far enough ahead. Because I'm like, oh, curious. Three children need to be in three different places at the same time. You know, if there's only two drivers, that's not going to work. So we need to figure something else out. And the, the more advanced knowledge I have of that, um, the better off we will all be. Um, plus, we can figure out how to still do fun stuff. Um, you know, this past weekend, uh, I, you know, we're, we're recording this in fall, um, beautiful fall weather here in Pennsylvania, leaves changing, absolutely gorgeous. We wanted to go for a family hike in the hills, you know, about an hour away. And yet the kids had all sorts of activities on various days, but Sunday, nobody had anything before two. So by planning ahead, we got up on time. We had family pancakes at like you know, waffles at 8 a.m., got in the car immediately afterwards, could drive to the, you know, mountains, hike for a few hours, drive home, be back by two. Like if we hadn't thought of that ahead of time, that never would have happened. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, that's great. And also it seems like I remember one of your themes was also if you plan kind of the week ahead for the next weekend, you know, on Monday or Tuesday or whatever, you know, you've got something already to look forward to, right? You don't have to really think about it. Oh, yeah. And of course, if you haven't planned much for the immediately upcoming weekend and you would like to, this gives you a chance to do it as well. Like, you know, again, most people could probably get away with planning fun stuff for their weekend on that Friday. Um, and if that is you, then great. You know, think about it. Go make that restaurant reservation somewhere. Call your friends. Get something on the calendar. So, so much of time management, we think about work and family and all these things that chores and things like that we have to kind of accomplish. Um, but you just mentioned something that you and your family did this weekend, a little, a little adventure to the mountains. Um, and I know when you gave that talk as well, you, you talked about the idea of taking adventures and maybe they're big adventures and they're big vacations somewhere. And so maybe, maybe you like traveling and want to talk about that, but, um, but maybe it's just something adventurous on a Saturday or maybe even on a weekday, maybe there's a, a different route you could take or a different thing you could do. Um, can you talk about the importance of adventure and how we can uh, work it into the to the time in our lives. Yeah, I mean, so adventures. I, I it's just like anything out of the ordinary. And and the reason I suggest people plan adventures into their lives is that so often when we're saying, oh, like I don't remember where the time, like where did the time go? Where did the time go? People say, where did the time go? What they're saying is, I don't remember where the time went. And that is because the time is not memorable in any way. Like you didn't do anything that would form a memory with that time. And so it is entirely forgettable and thus your brain forgets it. And that can make time feel like it is speeding up 
as we get older. And I, you know, don't want that for people. I want us to enjoy and revel in time and feel that it is thick and rich, you know, and not like this slick linoleum floor that we're like sliding into death, right? You know, we want to yeah. actually enjoy the time that we have. And so one thing we can do to make that happen is to make time more memorable. Um, and that means consciously putting in little adventures. Uh, the formula I suggest for people, I actually have a formula now, is one big adventure, one little adventure every week. Um, a big adventure I would define as like our trip to the, the hill. So half a weekend day, right? Um, you know, I'm not talking about traveling to another continent every week. That's clearly not going to happen. <laughs> but a big adventure is something that might take a couple of hours. So half a weekend day. And a little adventure is something you can fit in just like in an hour, right? Um, so that could happen on a weekday lunch. It could happen in a weekday evening. Um, and those are two great spots actually, because having something that's adventurous on a weekday lunch or a weekday evening, like changes the entire experience of a normal Tuesday. Like, it's like, oh yeah, it's Tuesday, but we went to go check out that cool new neighborhood that we've never been to and walked around and saw the pretty leaves or the Christmas lights if it's during the holidays or something like that. Or, you know, we there's that uh, sculpture park in a, um, that's like five minutes from my office, but I've never been over there. So I'm going to just take a little extra time at lunch, drive over there, go see it, come back. But that's like completely changes what a normal workday feels like because you look forward to it. You experience the adventure while you're having it. You can remember it afterwards. And it's not just, oh, that was Tuesday. It's like, oh, well, that was the Tuesday I went and saw the sculpture park. Um, now it's a Tuesday that stands out in memory and that makes time feel a lot more rich and full. I really love that concept about when you don't really do any, when you're doing things that are just like forgettable, whatever that, you know, they don't, you don't create memories, but when you have these little adventures in a sense, you, yeah, it really does make the, the day more rich and more full. Well, okay. So um, maybe we've tackled uh, managing time. Uh, maybe we're, we're as productive as Laura Vanderkam, right? <laughs> um, but what happens when we encounter maybe big changes in life? Maybe it's a, a new job we start or we we've lost a job. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's children, maybe it's an unexpected death in the family, you know, whatever it is, uh, big, big monumental things that happen in life. How do we shift um, when we've become used to sort of a set of time management habits and now we've got to kind of shift to something new? Yeah, well, life changes. I mean, that is the nature of life. And it's, you know, this is one of the things people often want to tell me about their daily routines or their great daily habits. And inevitably when they do, I'm like, well, this is a snapshot of one point in life because when anything big happens into your life, it's going to have to change. Um, like there's very few people who could do something at the exact same time every single day in perpetuity. Like if you could, that means like nothing else ever happened in your life. Um, and, and that might not be a great thing to really be talking about. So, um, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that a change has happened so that any things that you change are done mindfully. Because what tends to happen is these, you know, time shocks happen. And then we sort of react just by like doing whatever is right in front of us and choices get made that aren't necessarily active choices. And I see this with the pandemic. In fact, um, there is, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics does the American Time Use Survey, which has thousands of people talk through how they spent yesterday. And yesterday means all the different days of the year that a researcher would call you up on, let's say, this Tuesday and ask you about Monday. Um, and somebody else is calling somebody else up about Thursday, asking about Wednesday or Sunday, asking about Saturday and so forth. Um, so we get all sorts of data about the whole of time. 
And so they could study, you know, what happened with the pandemic. They recently released the data comparing, um, you know, May through December, let's say of 2020, because they didn't, they shut down in March through May. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that chunk of 2020 with that chunk of 2019. And there are some big differences, like the population as a whole um, in the United States spent far less time traveling, like in their cars. Like, I mean, it's it something like 25 minutes a day. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's a lot of time. Like that's different, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's a huge change. But you, where did that time go? Like there's still 24 hours in a day. So what did people do with it? Well, you may not be surprised to hear that screen time increased by quite a bit. Um, you know, most of that changed. Like most of the time we saved not driving places simply got put into screen time because that's what was there and available and easy to do. Um, And I'm not sure that anybody would have said like, you know, if I say, I'm gonna give you an extra 25 minutes in the day, right? Like you're gonna get 25 minutes back. What do you wanna do with it? Would you've been like, I want to, you know, watch random TV shows. (laughs) Like I want to (laughs) scroll around Twitter for 25 minutes extra every single day. Like that's not what you would have said, but that's what people did because people didn't think about it. Um, And so that's what the choices we made. So what I take from this, time will be spent on something. Whenever there is a huge time shock of some sort or another, um, you know, your kid, you have a new child, even just kids start new schools, right? Like, cause their their mornings are gonna be different, which means that most likely your morning is gonna be different unless somebody else is, you know, taking care of all the details of children in your life. Um, You know, it's maybe you start a different job um, that has different hours or that you have to commute to instead of working from home or suddenly you start working from home when you were commuting. There's gonna be changes. And every time that happens, you should look at where your time is going and say, well, does this still fit with how I wish to be spending my time? Let me make sure that if I am losing something, it's because I want to. Um, And if I, don't want to lose whatever good habit I had. How can I find another time to do it? Like, you know, your kid switches schools. You used to walk them to school. So you got a 20 minute brisk walk every morning, like great habit. Now they're taking the bus and like, you don't have that 20 minute walk. Well, if you don't have it now, do you actually want to lose it? And if you do awesome, but if you didn't want to lose it, where else can you put that in through your day? Yeah. All great advice. Um, so Laura, a lot of your advice is seen in your books and, um, and you know, I've named some of your titles, but of course you, you've ghost written books and everything. So who knows how many books you've actually written, but, uh, but I understand, um, a few of your books are actually novels while some of the other books that I'm more familiar with are nonfiction. Uh, you know, the, this sort of time management, maybe, maybe in the self growth type of space. Um, how can you compare what you do with your fiction writing and your nonfiction writing and, and tell us why you got into the fiction? Well, I, I mean, I like reading fiction, so I thought I'd try writing it. And if you are a writer, of course, it's just something you sort of always think of doing. Like I would write a novel, like why not? Um, I enjoy both. Um, it's, uh, and in fact, one time I sort of combined the two. Juliet's School of Possibilities is a novel, uh, but it is about time. It is a self-development book. It's a business, you know, in the business parable genre, um, learning lessons about how we make space for priorities in our lives um, at a wonderful little place called Juliet School of Possibilities um, that our, our narrator winds up at, um, you know, to, to learn uh, at, a, at a particularly dark point of her, her life. Um, but yeah, you approach it the same way. I mean, you have to know what you are writing about. Um, you plan out, at least in my, my case, I like to plan out what the chapters are going to look like. Um, I'm going to cover this topic in this chapter, this topic in this chapter. Um, you know, these are the things that I hope the reader will take away from the book. 
And then you have to write it. <laughs> like you have to sit down and do it. Um, there really is no substitute for that. Um, and it's going to be terrible um, once you have written it because that is just the nature of getting something down. It is never perfect the first time. Um, it's big chunks of it might be garbage, but the good news is that you will come back to it and you will make it better. And a couple drafts in, you'll probably start liking it. And that's a good sign. <laughs> and once you start liking it, other people might start liking it too. Um, but you have to be patient enough to get to that process and know that it won't be great from the beginning. Um, but if you can tell yourself that and be okay with it, uh, then there's really no limit to what you can get done. Well, that's great. Um, okay. So speaking of books, uh, what are some of your favorite books by other authors and ones you enjoy recommending to others? Well, you're going to laugh when I tell you this one, but I'm, I am reading war and peace for the second time this year. Well, <laughs> and and for the no, second time I, this year, no, the second time. So <laughs> okay. let me explain. I read okay. it a couple of years ago. And then this year I decided to do a project where I read one chapter in it every day. And the reason that works is it's a very long book, but the chapters are incredibly short. So Tolstoy wrote 361 chapters, I believe, that are all like four pages each. So oh, in wow. fact, like you can read a chapter of War and Peace in five minutes and they're very, it's a good plot. I mean, it's, it's, people think it's this unapproachable book. It is not at all. It's just the length that makes people go like, what? Um, these four minute chapters are like, stuff's happening. There's war, there's peace. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's characters who have very interesting lives and it's like the inner, you know, interrelations between all these families in, in Russia during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, so anyway, I read one chapter a day and I really like it. It's a great book. Um, so I would throw that out there as a suggestion for people who are thinking, well, you know, I'd love to read a big classic book, but I don't have the time. Well, if you have patience, then you can get through it in the course of a year. So just read four to five pages a day, um, one chapter each day. That'll take you from January 1st to like December 26th or something. Um, but you'll really get to know the characters and you'll probably really like reading it. And then you can say you've done it. You can impress people with that. Like, oh yeah, you're the kind of person who reads War and Peace. Well, you know, this year I've been living abroad in Guatemala. So it, I, I took the opportunity to start reading uh, the Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain. Um, and if and if you like to travel, if you traveled, and then he said it's Mark Twain also is just hilarious. Um, yes. And I literally have found myself like sitting in a coffee shop or on a plane or whatever I was bursting out loud laughing in the middle of a sentence because I just crack up laughing. And sometimes it hits you, especially as someone who likes to travel, like some of the experiences he has. But um, it's, 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 it's mm, probably in the 500 or so page range. It's not quite War and Peace. But uh, I started realizing, uh, I think I started reading the book around June or something. And I started realizing, you know, as August and September came, oh, wow, I, 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 I read a few chapters from that book, but I haven't touched it in a while because I'm usually in the middle of reading some other books and other things I'm doing with life and work. But I said, you know, I actually took the exact advice you gave right there. I said, why don't I just focus on reading one chapter a day? They're, they're roughly between about six to 12 pages a chapter. And it's easy reading. It's a novel. I mean, it's fun. So that's what I've done. And you know what I noticed? And I've told this to my students because as we're talking about habits, you, you set that little small goal for yourself. And maybe, maybe some days you just stick to one chapter. But some days I find myself turning the page and reading three or four chapters because I'm, I'm just into it. So uh, but anyway, so hopefully my goal is to finish the book by the end of the year. Um, 
with those amount of chapters. So Laura, um, what parting advice as we're getting to the near end of the conversation here, do you, you have for entrepreneurs? Um, perhaps we can hear some advice that stems from, you know, your entrepreneurial experience and what you're doing, but also uh, any advice you can give to entrepreneurs about managing their time, especially for those who are like are starting a business. And a lot of times people are working like crazy hours because you can, I have found this with myself, with my own organization I started this year. It's tough to turn it off, right? I mean, you could just keep going. There's always more activities to do. So what, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? Well, I would say make time just to try stuff. Um, that, you know, especially when you're starting out, you don't know exactly what's going to work. Um, and so you have to try lots of different things. Um, and, you know, even people who are very successful can try lots of different things and have things fail. I mean, success is just a numbers game. You need a certain number of at bats and nobody bats a thousand, like the best hitters out there are batting, you know, 400, right. Which means that six out of 10 are just going nowhere. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's probably the same with most of us, like, you know, batting in the 300s is incredibly respectable, but that means that, you know, three things work for every seven that don't. Um, and that's fine because three things is great. Like when three things work, that's awesome. You know, you've got stuff that works. So just try not to think about it as a waste of time. And one way you can get around thinking of it as a waste of time, because of course we all want to spend our time well, is to carve out time to do speculative stuff. Like if you know that Thursday morning is when I try stuff, like then you don't feel bad about using your Thursday morning for something that didn't work out because Thursday morning is when I try stuff. Like I, you know, try out a new idea. I, you know, talk with somebody I haven't before just to see what comes up. Um, you know, I post a blog on something, a blog post on something I usually don't cover and see what the reaction is. Um, you know, I try pitching a new idea to an old client and see what they think. And, you know, probably they'll say no. And now you know, but you can try it again somewhere else and see what they, you know, what you learned from that. Um, but by carving out that time for speculative stuff, you don't feel like it's wasted time. And you'll probably get some useful information out of it that you can then put into practice in the rest of your life. You know, um, I started a community called Fearless Journeys, which uh, we're taking uh, um, a lot of the previous guests who have been on the podcast. I've invited many of them to be featured innovators in the community. And so every month I'm having somebody come on and do a group coaching session. We're also doing a book club where uh, one of our featured innovators every month is coming on and leading a discussion uh, over Zoom. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a particular book that the group uh, at the community is reading together. Um, but anyway, as I'm preparing for one of them coming up, uh, one of them is with a musician, a friend of mine named J.D. Eicher. He's based in Ohio. And as we were discussing what he could actually lead a session on, because I said, you know, J.D., like I've got a number of musicians that have been on the podcast, including you, and a number of you are in the community as featured innovators. But like most of the people right now in the community, most of the membership are not musicians, right? But there are things they can still learn from you. Like, so we started just having a conversation. And so the topic of his uh, upcoming uh, session, I think it's on November 30th, is balancing productivity and creativity. And one of the things he was telling me, and by the way, I'm sure he's going to listen to this to this uh, episode because I'm going to send it to him and, and, uh, and say, this is exactly what we talked about, time management. Because he, he says, as a creative person, who's a musician, he doesn't know how long it's going to take him to come up with a song. He says, sometimes you come up with something in 15 minutes. Sometimes it takes hours or days and you have no idea where the creative process. So he said he does exactly what you just recommended. He carves out certain times for creativity, not knowing where that's going to lead. And then other times, you know, he's got two kids. Uh, he's got a life on the road, life at home. He's got, you know, all sorts of things he's, he's got to accomplish. Um, 
And so those times are blocked out. I mean, he even has time for, I'm only going to check email, you know, one hour a day or this or that. Right. Um, but I think that's kind of an interesting take that, you know, you, both of you had there on blocking off time for creative that you don't know where that time's going to necessarily go. It could be wasted or it could be very productive. Exactly. Um, so Laura, where, um, Laura Vandercam.com is where everybody can find you. Uh, they can follow you at L Vandercam at, on Twitter. Um, any, uh, ex anything exciting coming up, any new books, anything that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, yeah, we'll have a book out next fall called Tranquility by Tuesday, um, nine ways to calm the chaos and make time for what matters. Um, so I'm putting the finishing touches on that now. So look forward to that in the next year. Great. Well, Laura, thank you so much uh, for being an agent of innovation and being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, we really value your time with us. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Suffer. Hey, give me all the names of your 